Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a cursed tightrope that killed a guy, a living pair of shoes with spikes on the inside where you put your feet, <laughs> and that balloon that Pennywise uses to lure children to their deaths. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. So, Mikey, let's start out uh, this episode as we always do with the scariest things that happened to us this week. So what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Roxy, I have for a long time been following a Twitter account okay. called Super Mario Broth. Okay. And it's very fun, right? They just have little Super Mario facts. Wait, broth uh, like like soup? B- yes. Yeah. Okay. B-R-O-T-H. And they just have weird little like Mario inside uh little little glitches and stuff that you can find in mario games and the one i found this week roxy uh, i'll just read the tweet um in super mario world if the game crashes due to collecting invalid items via glitches it is possible for the frozen screen to randomly display a line of text from the game sometimes resulting in vaguely ominous messages and what i see creepypasta it's very creepypasta this is real. Yes, this is a thing huh. that Mar- Super Mario World, one of my favorite video games ever made, does in real life. Uh, the okay. the ominous messages I'm seeing include, Mario has defeated the song. Mario must meet. Uh, and then Mario has triumphed over, which is not super creepy. Here's where we get, here's where it gets bad. Mario in this new world. And finally, illusion. Mario in this new world? Mario in this new world question okay. mark and the screen is all black and there's just little images of mario looking straight up and finally okay. over a gray screen with just arbitrary bits of text illusion lies ahead that, that sounds like something from <laughs> elden ring or dark souls that you would put on the ground to try and s- tell somebody there's, there's <laughs> does, a hidden yeah. wall <laughs> uh it started from mario it turns out apparently Okay, that is, like, very spooky, if true. So it's just, like, lines of text or, like, code that looks like it's saying that, or... It's in the Mario World font, so it's, like, it looks like hmm. it was programmed. Oh, and there's also okay. a second update, um, and the one that uh, that's less scary, but the two that are scary say, uh, Toadstool is being held, period. And then, what okay. traps await? Weird, because, like, Toadstool is being held. I could understand how that's, like, a command to be, like, if Toadstool is being held, then this happens. Mm-hmm. But the other one, what did you say? It was something awaits? What traps await? Yeah, I don't understand how that something like that would fit into a line of code, so. Scary. It's scary, Roxy. It's it truly. just tells us, it reminds us how little we understand about the digital realm, right? We're at the mercy of these uh haunted video games there's no way this much information is being created without a little bit of ghosts slipping in am i right yeah i mean like it's much more fun to imagine that for sure i just feel like the amount I of like information that. being generated numer like statistically there's no chance it's not a little bit haunted i want to run into a computer ghost that sounds fun you what would kind of stories it. would they have to tell wait you would lose <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry did you ever see that episode of are you afraid of the dark where he fought a computer bug when he was in um, a computer I have seen so many episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark. I remember one where there's like a pinball machine or something that the kid goes into, but I don't think I remember one about being in a computer. It might have been yeah. the pinball one. It was like a little a little short guy who had like a big bulging brain and he was all oh. silver. And it was the, the idea was like if you're in the world of the video game and he controls the world, like you're gonna lose to him. He is yeah, he's the control. god. He's the wizard. He can do whatever he wants in there, and there's nothing we can do. We've already lost. Well, I don't like thinking that we already lost, Mikey. Should, should I cheer you on then so you can defeat this computer ghost? It won't help, but yes. Oh, well, okay. You can do it, Mikey. Defeat the computer ghost. Yay. Thank you. Roxy, <laughs> what was the scariest thing that happened to you this week? The scariest thing that happened to me this week involved my car yet again. I'd like to, I would love to stop talking about my car for this <laughs> segment. I love it so much. So the past few episodes, I was talking about how I was out of town visiting my folks and everything. So mm-hmm. I was away from my car. Um, and then I get a text message from my roommate that was like one of these neon green stickers as about like, oh, you're, this is a derelict car that is going to be towed in like two weeks or like a week. Oh. And my car was just parked in the normal spot it usually is, like a row of a bunch of cars in front of these apartment and condo buildings. And so then my roommate proceeded to follow up to be like, 
yeah, our neighbor who is like, she's an older lady. Um, and so she knows a few more people in the neighborhood. She saw this person writing down license plates, just oh. like a, a different old lady going up and down, writing down people's license plates. And she was like, I know whose car that belongs to. She's my neighbor. She's just gone because of a family emergency for a couple of weeks. Like, it's not derelict. Mm-hmm. But yet this lady reported it. She record- reported my car and three, two or three other people's cars um, as being, like, abandoned or having, like, expired tags. Which, yes, I did have expired tags, but my car was not abandoned. <laughs> and also, why is it her problem? Why does this lady need to get involved? She literally has nothing better to do with her day than cause problems for other people just because she can. Well, exactly. That's what's so horrifying about it. Like, her life has gotten to a point where there's nothing for her to do but travel yeah. around and harm people. Apparently, yeah. Like, she got to exert control over people and make them pay a bunch of money. That's exactly it. The grandkids won't visit, so therefore I'm going to take away these people's cars. Yeah, so I'm going to ask my neighbor lady where this other neighbor lives, and I'm going to leave a note on her door and see if she likes it. Why don't you tell them her house is abandoned? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'll report it to the cops. Be like, this is a derelict house. It needs to be torn down. (laughs) (laughs) The cops probably uh, take those kind of requests. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a thing you can just report to the traffic, traffic cops. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was the scariest thing that happened to me this week, Mikey. Very scary. Oh shit, demon bot. Ah! Mikey and Roxy, last week I assigned you the 2015 film The Invitation. Did you watch the film or your soul's forfeit? Uh, I did watch The Invitation, Roxy, did you? Yes, I also watched The Invitation. I got The Invitation to watch The Invitation. I accepted The Invitation. <laughs> oh, you did? Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Good, then you may keep your souls. For now. There he goes. I'm glad he didn't give us an invitation. I was a little worried he might try to invite us to his own dinner party, being inspired by this movie. Do you think, Roxy, that the demon bot is lonely? I mean, there are a lot of other, like, ghouls and monsters down here, but I don't know how much he talks to them, you know? He's inept socially, being a robot. <laughs> he, well, makes, he makes them all uncomfortable, and I can just sense it. I can just sense it. Maybe we should introduce him to that uh, that computer virus demon from the episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark you were talking about, Mikey? You think they'd be friends? Ooh, I think they so. They probably have a lot in common. Uh... I, I worry that the computer virus would get into the demon bot and oh, corrupt you know? him. Mm, corrupt okay. him. Never mind. All right. Yeah. Well, I take back that thought. Dang it. We'll have to try and find a f- different <laughs> friend should, for him somehow. We should find somebody for demon bot for sure. Yeah. Friend, friend setup, friend hookup. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, so for those of you who are listening to this episode with your ear pressed against the basement door, why don't we do a plot summary? I love it. All right, let's go. The movie opens with Will and his girlfriend driving to a dinner party hosted by Will's ex-wife Eden and her new husband David. A coyote jumps in front of their car and Will is forced to put it out of its misery. Kira and Will arrive then at the party and it's obvious that Will and Eden divorced because of their young son's sudden death. The other dinner guests are all old friends from before the divorce, all of them meeting for the first time in two years as Eden and David have been in Mexico. Then suddenly a random hippie girl shows up who has been in the house the whole time. (laughs) And apparently Eden had met this lady in Mexico. So that's why she's here. But why, why is she here? Nobody, nobody knows. It's very awkward. Will takes some time to reminisce and goes to the kitchen. Eden and friend Ben show up too, and she slaps Ben when he slightly jokes about her strange ideas about expelling pain by just choosing not to feel it or something. She sounds very odd as she says it, as if she's not herself. David locks the door, and Will thinks this is odd. The two of them have a slight disagreement about it in front of everyone. Will then goes to get firewood and sees Eden taking a pill and hiding it. He sneaks into the room and takes one of the pills, learning that it's phenobarbital. Also, a weird new guy shows up to the party named Pruitt, who the couple also met while they were in Mexico. Just uh, a rolling stone, a real catamari ball of social encounters down in Mexico, these two. Eden and David then tell the dinner party guests about the cult-like organization they joined in Mexico, and it's called The Invitation. Apparently, it helps people work through their grief and fear of death. 
David then inexplicably shows them a video of the group's founder espousing their beliefs as if they're trying to convert everybody in the room. The video then shifts to show a woman literally dying. It's incredibly messed up and super damn awkward. What a dinner party this is turning out to be so far. When the party guests voice their concerns, David then pivots to suggesting they play a game called I Want. The hippie girl, of course, wants to express love and immediately kisses one of the lady guests, uh, Gia, I believe. And then that lady guest, Gia, says she wants cocaine. <laughs> and she gets some. He's just given a bunch of cocaine. Then, oh my God, Pruitt recounts the story of how he, first of all, loved his wife more than anything. Couldn't have loved anything more. And then one time got drunk and punched her in the head and killed her. This causes one of the dinner guests to just nope on out of there and leave. Pruitt parked his car behind the leaving guest, and Will watches from the window as Pruitt walks her walks out with her. Suspiciously, Pruitt stops her car just before she leaves, out of view of the window. David then confronts Will yet again about how he is so suspicious of them and their hospitality. I'm doing air quotes around hospitality, <laughs> you'll have to trust me. Uh, later, Will then sees the hippie girl making bizarre faces at herself silently in the mirror. She sees him watching and then follows him outside and propositions him sexually, and he rejects her instantly. <laughs> Will then talks with his other friend about how unsafe and strange the atmosphere in this party feels. His friend agrees, but also it would... It would be strange no matter what happens, as they haven't seen each other for two years, and this house is the very same house that his son died in, and his wife has a new husband now, and they live in it. It was going to be strange no matter what. Will agrees with this friend, says he'll check his phone, and follow him back inside. On the phone, Will hears a voicemail from the missing party member who is supposed to show up early. They've been complaining about it the whole time, we just haven't mentioned it till now. <laughs> uh, he claims he was on the front porch, and in the message, he asks Will to pick up a dessert, since he forgot to get it himself. This confirms Will's suspicions that Eden and David must have done something to the missing attendee. And Will confronts them all about it at the dinner table, and points out how strange everyone is, how polite everyone is, how nobody's saying anything about how weird it is that their friend has joined a cult. <laughs> <laughs> and two of the cult members were ridiculously invited to this party for some reason. Everyone starts to get on Will's side until the missing man, Choi, shows up saying he was called away by work. Ugh, ugh, embarrassing. Totally mortified, Will confesses that he is not okay and never got over his son's death, apologizes, and goes up to his child's old room. There, he witnesses David hanging up a suspicion red lantern in the yard in view of the hillside. Then Will finds a laptop with an ominous video from the cult founder about the importance of, quote, tonight and how it will be hard, but they need to proceed forward with the plan. Going back to the dinner table, Will smashes the glasses of wine out of everyone's hands, fearing they're poisoned. And the hippie girl then attacks him, saying he ruined everything. He throws her off of him, but she hits her head. While they're tending to her, one of the dinner guests who drank the wine is now dead on the table. They try to revive her, and that's when David pulls out a gun and shoots the physician guest trying to help her. David is freaked out by having just committed a murder. <laughs> Meanwhile, Pruitt takes the gun from him and shoots another guest dead as everyone runs away to defend themselves. Will and his girlfriend hide in a side room and are attacked soon by the hippie girl who turned out to be okay enough, just enough to attack them again. Will and Kira escape from her before Pruitt shows up and Will and Kira team up to take Pruitt out. After that, Will and Kira overhear David trying to psych up Eden to continue going on with a plan to be free of pain from this earth. But she wanted things to be painless and quick, not this. And the phenobarbital she took earlier appears to be slowing her down as well. David leaves to find the other guests to take them out, and Will and Kira attempt to talk Eden down. However, this doesn't work at all, and she shoots Will in the arm. However, the act of doing this makes her realize just how bad she let things get. And so she shoots herself in the stomach for some reason, because that's how you kill yourself with a gun. And she dies a slow death. I would but say importantly, yet. shoots herself in the womb. Yeah, I guess she does. Yes, she specifically wow. does. Uh, another guest, Tommy, takes out David as he's about to find Will and Kira. And the three of them are now the sole survivors. In her dying moments, Eden apologizes and admits that she never got over the death of their son either. She dies, and the surviving trio hear screams and sirens from nearby, and notice that the suspicious red lantern is not just at their house, but other houses on the hillside as well. 
as the sweeping million-dollar view reveals that many other dinner parties met with tragic ends tonight, not just their own. And that is the movie The Invitation. That was the movie The Invitation. Roxy, this movie... Yes? It's tight. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> I thought going into it, I had read in, like, the description on Amazon that, like... I thought I saw the word vampire. I try not to read those descriptions, but I feel like mm-hmm. I just glanced as I was selecting it on Amazon. I thought I glanced the word vampire. So I was like, oh, this is vampires. And they feel very vampire-y. So I was like, cool, I'm on the right track. Yeah. And I almost liked it better when it turned out to just be like human beings having a bad reaction to a cult and you got to fight off your ex-wife and her new husband. Like that feels <laughs> uh, mythologically and metaphorically very sound. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. I can't even remember how I watched this movie for the first time, but I, I too went into it very blind. And like this movie has a very oppressive, suffocating, tense atmosphere the entire time. Like mm. it is unrelentingly tense, especially mm-hmm. because like the main character, Will, you kind of almost can't tell like if he's an unreliable narrator or not. But like someone like me who is always going to look for signs of like, wait, is something weird going on here? I'm li- mm-hmm. I am was like on his side 110%, especially when it's like they keep talking about this missing guest who didn't show up. And then there's like these weird new people that they don't know what the deal is. Like, why <laughs> are they here? And oh, they're in a cult. Okay, so it keeps getting worse. So it's like, it's reinforcing the whole time. Like, yeah, some something is really wrong here. But then when Choi, the missing dude, shows up, he's just like, oh, yeah, I got called away from work. Uh-huh. Then, like, you, like the character, you're like, oh, shit, have I just been reading into it this entire time because mm-hmm. he's my viewpoint character? Like, is there really something going on? I wrote very early on, I wish there was some sort of moment very early in the, like, the beginning, like, in the opening car driving scene where Will could say to Kira, his new girlfriend, I know that it's insane for us to go to a dinner party at my ex's house with her new husband. I get it. But because of what we went through, this is like if there was some sort of acknowledgement yes. that it was insane. Yeah. But I will say, as the movie went on, I think the fact that there is not a scene that does that is deliberate. And it's mm. very, very smart because it puts us in the same role that Will is in throughout the entire movie where we're like, there's something off here and I wish somebody would talk about it. Yes, And I yeah. felt it throughout the entire movie. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, very cool for this like very subtle little trick of the screenplay to get us into the exact same emotional place that will is in right from the jump yes yeah especially because when he is at the scene where he's like yeah the missing guy like when he says why is everybody being so damn polite Mm -hmm. it's like yeah because people will do that like that's a very human thing to like kind of be polite and gloss things over you know, hoping that the weird thing will go away or just mm-hmm. because you don't want to be the person who's being mean to someone too. Yeah. You know? So lo- lots of instances you will see people who will like go out of their way to be more polite than they should be even when they see these warning signs. And so when he finally says it, I was like, yes, you said it. Thank <laughs> you. And I would even argue to go like one step grander with the metaphor. Like it feels like if you've ever gone through like an overwhelming grief, like something that is just like pounding on you, Mm-hmm. that's kind of how it feels to see people just like living their lives and just going about yeah. their regular. It's like, don't you understand that my grandfather just passed away? Like, don't you get it? And like the Valley Fair didn't close the day my grandfather died. You know, it's just like, and yeah. I just like, why not? It feels insane that un- other people could go about and be happy when I feel this way. And I thought that was like a really cool way. Yeah, to Yeah, like the world moves on without you. Yeah, to hyperbolize that feeling that like, yeah. what is the matter with you idiots? <laughs> like that <laughs> felt that felt like uh, that felt emotional and true. The one thing I will say that like really pissed me off is that he brings his new girlfriend who has never met any of these people. And then for the majority of the movie has abandoned her uh-huh. to like go and stand in a room and be sad about his son or go talk to his ex-wife or his <laughs> other friend or find these pills in a in a dresser drawer is like I can't even imagine being that girlfriend and being like why the fuck did I come I need to leave like immediately I can't believe I let myself get talked into this and he's just like abandoning me to these weirdos like what is happening I I have definitely been in that situation where I've gone with a significant other to a party and they'll leave me and if I vibe with their friends it's like kind of fun 
Like you get, mm-hmm. you, you're sort of like get instant status within a group where you get to hang out and you get to be like kind of the center of attention because the new friends want to meet you and it's sort of exciting. And if you yeah. don't vibe with the friends, it's history's greatest sin. It's the it, worst it's thing you nightmare. can do to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> and I would, I would say that like all of these friends seem very cool except for the cult people. The cult people, yeah. Gina seems rad. Colette, the girl who leaves early, is just like, yeah, I got tenure. I'm a cool-ass professor. Yeah. Miguel, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but they're a gay Tommy. couple. And they're just like, let's fucking steal this bastard's wine. Like, they just all, they all seem yeah. fun. <laughs> I they like they truly all. do. Yeah. They do a good job of making them very likable and making yeah. them feel like they are friends. Um, um, I think you're right that it was fucked up to leave Kira with these people. But I, I didn't get that vibe because in my head, I was just like, oh, no, she's hitting it off with the, the cool people that are here. And she she's kind of is for a like time. a second until then the weird hippie lady who is like major Manson girl vibes. Like I uh-huh. almost referred to her as that in the summary. <laughs> um, but I was like, nah, that'll be too much of a spoiler for people if anybody gives a shit about that. <laughs> and then when the other, when Pruitt shows up, like Pruitt, he's like a uh, character actor you've seen in like a ton of stuff. Yes. Do, should we start digging into him? I, like- I looked up his name and couldn't pick him out, but it was like, I was watching it on Amazon Prime and they have the x-ray feature, right? So it's like oh, you can okay. see in the scene who the actors are. And I did that for that guy and all of the movies he's been in, like I knew. Yeah. Uh, and I'd seen that, but I could not place him. Like, I don't know what I know him from. Do you want to hear yeah, the Yeah, like, the I couldn't do that either. It's like, he he's a character actor you've yes. seen in a million things, but, like, you don't, it doesn't stick in your brain the same way where it's like, I know specifically where you're from because you did this thing, but. He no. looks so, like a real-life Homer Simpson. He kind of does, yeah. He's, like, a and, bigger guy and has kind of, like, a, a round, like, round features. Like, he doesn't initially hmm. look threatening, but he does have kind of, like, a larger frame and is probably the largest person not like he's fat he's just he just has a larger frame than anybody else yeah so he's like physically intimidating compared to every other actor in this movie and so here here were my notes as i was going uh when sadie first appears we just see her and she's just wearing a t-shirt like she's just pantsless she's missing yeah yeah like will looks in the side room which sadie is the name of the uh, manson girl hippie girl by the way (laughs) and then she she joins the party and i wrote down sadie seems fun (laughs) <laughs> and then <laughs> a minute later, um, there's like a knock at the door and he welcomes in this hulking man who's like giving an incredible performance. Like he immediately reads Psychopath. He yeah, looks he really dead did. on the inside. And I just yeah. wrote down, uh, Pruitt seems fun, but that was <laughs> I- that was ironic. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, I interrupted you before, Mikey. You were going to like say what the actor's name was, I think. Oh, I, I don't Sorry know. about that. Oh, I thought you had looked it up. I have no idea what the actor's name is. Never mind. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. (laughs) And I literally just uh, pulled out my phone and it was like, I don't even know what to type. Like, uh, guy from The Invitation. Yeah, you just have to look specifically at The Invitation IMDb. He's lost in history. Tears in the Uh, rain. Of course. Yeah, there you go. Um, Which, like, also David, the the new husband to the ex-wife, like, the last time I had seen him in something, it was this sweeping period romantic drama where Ooh, uh sexy he really is <laughs> like, he's he a very a attractive man yeah and like the character he plays in that movie too like i totally fell in love with them they did a very good job so it was very mm-hmm. funny to see him like using his charisma to be this kind of character <laughs> where they mentioned like he he was a music producer and like his wife died what's her name asking for the coke he mm-hmm. was definitely like a music producer who like did coke back in the yeah. day and something went wrong with his wife you don't know what but she died right and the fact that he they they mentioned how why would a recovering addict have coke around that mm-hmm. you're you are the worst recovering addict and it's probably because he's not because their whole like cult philosophy is just just pretend it's not there and then your grief is gone so he could still be like doing that periodically Absolutely. Like, that's the point of addiction. <laughs> like, yeah. that's what, what addiction does to you. That's what Coke does is push your emotions down, makes it so you feel something different than what you're feeling then. Yeah. Scary. He's a scary guy. Well, it's very interesting, too, because, like, speaking of, like, him and Pruitt simultaneously, like, David brings out the gun and shoots uh, Miguel, who is part of the gay couple, and he's like a... He's a doctor. Doctor or psychiatrist or something of some kind. He has, like, medical history, medical training of some kind. Mm-hmm. He, he's the first one to, like, get shot. 
<laughs> because David brings out this gun, but then David's like so freaked out by the fact that he did this. Like, even though he committed to being in this cult and killing these people, I don't think he was prepared to shoot them. And then Pruitt just ta- realizes that, takes the gun, and casually murders people very easily with like oh, dead yeah. eyes. It's very fucked up. <laughs> He's great. He uh, so there's this incredible scene where they they are playing this game of I want, and everybody's like having fun, right? They're like, I wanna, I wanna kiss. Ben and she kisses Ben and and I want to I want to do cocaine and that's when we get it out it's like whoa we're having fun party times and Pruitt <laughs> stone face says I want to tell you about my wife Margaret and yeah and he was, like stands up too to do it like dramatically it was the funniest thing that's ever happened it was so <laughs> funny it was just like this guy cannot read the room <laughs> he does he really not understand can. like the fun of this game <laughs> Yeah, he missed the point of the game. He just wanted to talk about his fucked up thing. And yeah, also, it's very much like him just dominating the conversation there to just be like, I want to talk about this now, so I'm going to. And then he does. It is so funny, like, because he uh, earlier we've we've seen um, David comes just be like, can I just show you guys this video? And he shows him the video of a yeah. woman passing away. And yeah. they're like, what the fuck, David? And so then a little bit later when David's like, guys, I realized that was messed up. What if we play a game? I was like, I bet this game's going to be fucked up too. And yeah. I was right. I was Especially because right. he said it was from, he was like, yeah, we did this in Mexico at the retreat like all the time. You guys are going to love it. It's Ugh. like, okay, yeah, you you were going to help them recover from the weird, awkward, very uncomfortable, borderline fucked up thing of showing a woman dying and your cult leader having a speech to try to recruit you or convince you. And then you're like, oh yeah, we'll also do a game we did at my cult too. Like... <laughs> okay yeah that's gonna be great i think that's what's so fun about this movie is like you were talking about right like we have these moments where we're on will's side we're like there's clearly something fucked up going on and then the guy who's been missing all movie Choi, shows up and we're like oh god we're not like it ebbs yeah. and flows out of like this fun party with these people who like you can argue this is uh, like i think what uh miguel maybe makes this argument he's like this party was gonna be weird no matter what uh it was tommy Tommy makes it, yeah. Yeah. He he makes the argument, like, this is going to be weird no matter what. And so is it normal weird? And just, like, are we accepting that this party just is what it is? Or is there something yeah. nefarious going on? And the movie, yeah. like, ebbs and flows you through it uh, in this yeah. really, like, interesting, smart way. Like, it makes you, like, I would almost argue, like, once I found out about the kid, because they don't say, mm-hmm. they don't mention the kid. We see, like, little flashbacks. I even thought when they were first walking in, we get the first flashback of we do. He Will's son in the window. And I was yeah, like, because like this house is where he lived with his yes. wife, who is now his ex-wife, and where his son died at like a party, which they also were not very overt about that too. We got to we yeah. got to talk. The minute I he have, walks I in. have a question about this son's death. Yes, yes, yes. What, what's up? Did this little boy die of baseball? So it was very strange. <laughs> he said like there were two, there were other kids playing, and one of them had a bat, and so I just assume he like hit him in the head or something. They never say. They're just like. They, they never told H- how us could what you happened? have known? Like it was just two kids playing around. There's no way you could have known or stopped it. I maybe they it was technically that he died of baseball because maybe they were playing baseball, or maybe it was just like, let's see how hard I can hit you in the head with this bat. The Literally game. the flashback was children playing baseball, and then Will runs over. And we and don't like, even see it, they just say it. Pushes a kid aside, and then that's when we're supposed to understand that he's dead. I like to think that that little boy <laughs> just loved baseball so much. <laughs> Heart he, his heart just exploded. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't he do was it so full of joy and Americana. And he <laughs> saw he saw Uncle Tommy bringing him a box of Cracker Jacks, and he was like, "It's never gonna get better than this." And his heart <laughs> popped, and blood trickled out his mouth, and he slumped over. And his parents got divorced and joined a cult. Half of them joined there, a cult. There you go. <laughs> Uh, and I do kind of like a movie that does this, where they don't tell you everything and you're allowed to guess. Like like we talked about with Claire, the friend who just got uncomfortable after Pruitt told his fucked up story and just like, I got to go. This is yeah, weird. Yeah, well, like she, she is the smartest one because like I would have left way sooner, but like that was definitely like, why didn't more people try and leave with her? Like that's your out when she's mm-hmm. like, I got to leave. Everybody else should have just been like, me too. You know what? I'm I'm done. And they all just should have left. Uh-huh. But they don't tell us what happens to her, and I kind of dig that. Like, I, like yeah. you were saying that you think she did get killed by Pruitt when he followed her out as she left, right? Yeah, so, like, I think, I don't think we talked about this on 
the record yet, but I mentioned it mm. beforehand when me and Mikey were trying to figure out like when does the first death actually happen in this movie because the there's a couple ways it could go. And one of them was that like when I had initially remembered this movie, I thought they were very explicit and showed that she had mm. died. Like when she goes to leave because she's driving away, then Pruitt like hails her car and she stops for some reason and then he walks out of frame so Will can't see Mm-hmm. If he killed her or not. And then when he walks back in, like, I don't think he had a coat when he walked out. When he walked back in, he did. And I kind of assumed that was because he was, like, covering up maybe blood on his hands or okay. something or a weapon he used. Interesting. Um, and just, like, killed her out of frame. Because, like, we don't, we also don't know, like, the specifics with the cult. If it's, like, you have to kill a certain number of people for your party. Like, you have to invite a certain number number of people or what. You have to have a KD ratio of more than one. Yeah, like, I, I I don't know if it was, like, you have to have 10 people or whatever, so, like, you have to make sure that number stays the same, because they are so adamant to try and get her to not leave, where mm-hmm. it's, like, if if it didn't, if the number didn't matter, you'd just be, like, kind of, like, oh, okay, well, like, it, it's more weird for us to keep harping on her staying, and we'll lose the rest of these people if they realize something weird's going on. I, um, I think I figured out what it was, though, just as we were what? talking right now. Like, okay. if they kept, if the cult kept talking about how once you die, you get to go be with everybody you care about. And as Claire was leaving, that was David's whole thing. It was just like, Eden planned this night. Eden wants you here. Like, these are all the yeah. people that Eden cared about. So I think the idea was if they left her alive, she doesn't get to go be with them in the afterlife altogether. Okay. That makes so they'd sense. They'd be missing their buddy. They miss their buddy. So, so yeah, it, it's unclear if Will did... Or not Will, sorry, excuse me, Will didn't (laughs) do that. (laughs) If Pruitt did kill her off screen or if he just let her go, we we don't know. It feels very ominous and threatening and we only know as much as Will knows in that respect, which I'm sure that that was the whole point. Uh, Do you want to hear my Choi theory? Yes, I would love to hear your Choi theory. That I had throughout the movie. So throughout the movie, they keep saying, where's Choi? Choi was supposed to be here. He said he was going to be early. Where the fuck is Choi? Choi's not showing up. I thought, (laughs) I thought Choi had earlier been transformed into a coyote. (laughs) And then on the way there, they accidentally ran over their friend Choi. And that would be like really hard to deal with. I mean, yeah, it's bad enough having to kill a normal coyote, let alone your friend who has been turned into a coyote. I wouldn't want to deal with that predicament. No. (laughs) No. Which I, I totally thought he had been killed too. Like my my vague memory was that he had been killed before the entire mm. time, and that I thought maybe they discovered his body or something. Yeah. So it was confirmed. So then when it was like, no, he just shows up. I was like, what? Okay. Here's the thing. That's like a weird. It, I, I've always heard this said in screenwriting. Like you can have weird coincidences happen so long as they harm your character. They can't get your character out of trouble. Hmm, okay. Like, uh, negative circumstances, like, that your character can overcome are satisfying to see their character overcome. If it feels like your character just, like, was plucked out of the air by magic, then it's, like, not as satisfying, and we're just like, okay, well... Yeah, unless you're setting it up for a bigger fall later or something. And so I would say that Choi's appearance is an example of the former, right? Of the, of the, uh, this is a challenge to him, right? If he, if Will, or Choi, rather, had showed up, it was like, yeah, that message would have been evidence. But... It is so, so funny to me that a bizarre little string of coincidences would happen that would take Choi out of this story and Will would be like, this is what's going on. And then Choi would come up and be like, oh, sorry. And they'd be like, oh, Will. And then Will would still be exactly right. Like that, the movie doesn't change whether Choi is there or not. Like it's the exact same. And it's so funny that it just happens to like coincide with Will's like, postulated idea that like which is why i was like it can't just be that they're going to kill them it has to be something bigger and more fucked up otherwise yeah. it'd just be like will guess that they were going to kill Choi, and then they do kill Choi. like will kind of guessed the plan and therefore yeah. there was no, there, i guess now that i'm talking about it i'm i'm talking myself out of liking the plan a little bit like it, it would it would have liked like one more little twist like i would have liked them to a have been vampires or b to have been turning people into coyotes like something a little weirder so it's not just will's like first thought is they're gonna kill us and then that kind of is what happens but maybe that's a personal preference thing maybe that's just uh asking too much of it also the fact that i thought it was vampires going in is (laughs) not fair for the movie to have to address yeah i mean like if if they had made a turn like that which i guess in a way like the 
cult thing, it's kind of like they have their hooks in people. It is similar to vampirism in a way, where it's yeah. kind of like once they get you, you become part of this specific club where you listen and have a new set of rules and you like morality system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you... and, and it's like the promise of eternity, right? Vampires yes, exactly. keep you literally alive. And this is about like our afterlife is for eternity. Yeah. The, this cult is taking desperate people who have suffered immense grief or like so scared of death or both mm-hmm. you know that they kind of have nowhere else to go and it's like taking advantage of these extremely vulnerable people with this situation that would be so unique to each one of them how they would deal with the fallout to just like continue living their life that way that they're, they're just like perfect to be inducted into this like that they take the most vulnerable vulnerable people they can find and then make them like slaves to their way of thinking and Mm -hmm. do whatever they would do they would even murder their closest friends because they're being fed this fiction that it's actually good for them it's actually a good thing to kill all of your friends at a dinner party it's actually great because then you'll all go to the afterlife and be (laughs) free of pain forever and doesn't that sound nice (laughs) there's a moment that this movie does that i think is really smart and if you're like kind of reading the tea leaves like there's a a framing of this movie that that is very sad that these sad people were drawn into this cult and like corrupted by it right like you could mm-hmm. read david and eden as like sympathetic yeah but this movie does something right uh, like early in the dinner scene i think it's right after Choi shows up okay. that eden says to him that i was like this is the best move they did eden says to him i wrote down the exact quote you can't oh. criticize us for finding our own way through this mm. we've never done that to you and so in that moment i was like okay if there is nothing going on, she is a hero. And if she is doing anything to impart her vision for what is the best way to deal with your grief is onto Will and anybody else, she's a hypocrite. And it's like the, um, you know, movies always have like a save the cat moment. You want your hero to do something inherently good. So the audience is immediately on their side. Mm-hmm. The opposite of that. I don't know if this is the actual term for it or not, but like the kick the dog moment where you have your villain like shoot their own henchmen, something that's just like objectively mm, like uh-huh. evil. So the audience is clued in like they are objectively the villain. And they did yeah. that with Eden. I would argue that is her kick the dog moment where she's not just setting a dinner party to murder her friends. It's coming out of hypocrisy. Also, she like acknowledges yeah. what is wrong about what she's doing and is doing it anyway. And I was like, Fuck yeah, I hate this lady if this goes the way I think it's going. And it did go that way. And I was like, oh, ruled. Yeah, especially because she finally admits it at the end. Because there's also another good, there's a good line from Will's tirade. Uh, aside from him just saying, like, everybody's being so damn polite. He says something about how, like, the grief means that our son's death, like, meant something. Yeah. Like, how can you pretend it doesn't mean anything by just choosing to forget it? Like, yeah. the grief means that he lived and that we loved him and that we feel his loss and that he was important. And you're throwing that away. So that's also, like, his perspective, too, that she finally admits, like, yeah, I was actually never over it. Mm-hmm. I never was able to. And we didn't talk about this before, either. She had a suicide attempt. Yeah, that we, again, just get in her. quick flashes that is not, like, narratively explained, but we just yeah. get little hints it's of kinda, it. As Will's going through the house, he's periodically, like, remembering things from their life before, like, when him and Eden were happy, when his son was alive. It's a very awkward scene where their son walks in on them in the bathtub together, and he uh-huh. stands there for way too long, and the kid <laughs> actor... Sorry to the kid actor, because I'm sure he's listening to this episode, but he just has such, like, a blank, weird look on his face. I was just like... He, You didn't emote at all. You couldn't be like, this is weird, or maybe this is funny. Like, he just looks like a, I don't know, there's nothing going on in his brain. It it was really kind of creepy in a way where I was like, kid, walk away or just react at all? Because, like, he just, he's like, okay, good night. I love you. Bye. And then the parents are like, Will says something about, and that's the thing he's going to remember about his gross parents walking in on his gross parents having sex. When they're just, like, in the bath together, they're not really doing anything. But at the same I, time, it's like, what? <laughs> Roxy, I actually really liked that scene a lot and thought that kid performed it perfectly. Like, you did? Okay. I, I, I think, I think the, like... deer in headlights for, like... The, the, like, stunned silence of, like, uh, I don't understand what's going on, like, to, you, you know, in fight, flight, or freeze that he freezes. And then okay. the parents are, like... Oh, God. But also, like, it's not a big deal. I feel like sitcoms specifically can, like, make that a big deal where, like, the kid, like, closes the door and they're, like, shaking or they're like, ah! like it's 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 like a normal thing. Like, I liked how normal okay. it was and how they were just like, this fucking thing. 
This kid's going to remember his gross parents fucking. I thought it was cute. I okay. really like that scene. You've actually kind of talked me around to it. I think, yeah, if if I look at it more as like kind of a deer in headlights sort of moment, yeah, it does totally read that way. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they, they show like multiple different scenes of them, like ha- having happier, more lighthearted times. And then, yeah, the one time that, uh, Eden tried to kill herself and he yeah. had to stop her. And to be fair, the scene we saw was Eden watching an like baseball on a big TV. She sat down in front of the couch to watch a baseball game and was trying to kill herself that way. And oh, of course. <laughs> to make her heart stop to be so excited about baseball. It didn't happen. <laughs> Will came in and he said, no, and he turned on the NBA and she was like, ugh. I like this just a little less. <laughs> the the real tragedy of the movie. She never got to finish that baseball game. Uh, there's also like a gaslighty atmosphere to this. Like I was talking about how tense and oppressive it feels. Like Will's paranoia. Like you said, how the the movie does a good job of getting us in his headspace. Like it feels like whenever mm-hmm. the, the characters try to deny it or like when he asks the one character about the phenobarbital that he finds... He's like, okay, don't tell David about this. Then, like, two minutes later, he tells David about it. And you're Mm -hmm. like, it feels like they're all just gaslighting him and not listening to what he's saying. Like, I can't imagine why. Mm -hmm. Like, just, you guys don't see it, too? And I think, again, maybe I'm retreading stuff we've already talked about, but it it reminded me of scenes in Rosemary's Baby where, like, she's just being downplayed where everybody around her is like, no, there's no demon things going on. You're just, you're hysterical. Mm. You know, you're just overreacting to things. Like, it felt very much like that. So it made me, like, additionally incensed to be like, yeah, these fucking weirdos <laughs> doing something bad. That's interesting. Yeah, I was I was reading that as, like, your friend just fucking with you. Uh, really? Think- he did it so seriously, though, because, like, the implication is that Will went to go search through her drawers, found some drugs, and then covertly asked the other friend about it. Like, well, I wouldn't he- just... But then he pulled back. He didn't way. tell them about that. He was like, Will thinks you're on pills. And they're like, what? And he's like, metaphorically. Like, he was like. Well, he said that, but then he's like, Will, you went through our stuff? Like, he, David asked him that. Well, he, Will tells him then later, doesn't he? I can't, I can't remember. You're right. Because he forget- does bring now that I'm up. I'm forgetting yeah. the pacing. I read but- that. And, and, and right now, actually, as I'm kind of thinking about it, like, I think that might have been the role of the gay couple to just be like, and I guess kind of Gina, too, like, to be these true this is how their friendship was like this source mm-hmm. of normalcy. So we can really be contrasting that against Eden yeah. and David and the, the cult people. We get these mm-hmm. like regular people. And I, I was really like enamored with that scene. I was like, cause I had that same moment when it's like, he's like, these guys are crazy. He thinks you're taking pills. And I was like, dude, you, ah. but then when he was like, he's fucking with him. I was like, all right, that was funny. Like, and I could see my friends doing that to me and thinking that was funny. Like, Hey, don't mm-hmm. tell him the secret. And they kind of like, make you think you're telling the secret, but then pull it back. I was very, like, enamored with those guys. I thought they were, like, fun. They were, like, the funnest they were, dudes. Yeah, they were They were very fun. I liked them a lot. I think because of the sense of, like, urgency of him being, like, I'm very concerned about these pills I found. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned for the health of this friend. It seemed like he was so serious about it that for them, him to, like, turn into kind of a joke thing, it just felt like, like, that was, that was just kind of a dick move. Uh-huh. Like if you, there's a time to mess with your friend playfully, and there's a time to not do that, and it felt like one of those moments to not do that. Well, I would I would say that that that's kind of those dudes' cardinal sin is that they were kind of mm. in the same way that Eden was like just forgetting that their son had ever existed. They were kind of acting as though the circumstance hadn't changed. They were like, our yeah. friendship is the same as it was all the time. Yes. Like I used to fuck with you then, I'm gonna fuck with you now, and it's like, uh, don't fuck with me now. Stop okay, that. yeah, no, I like it much better from that perspective. So, Mikey, we've been talking about, like, a lot of different aspects of how these characters deal with, like, grief and stuff. So we're sort of getting into the big idea of the movie. So I wanted to know what, like, your take was on what the big idea of the movie is. Well, yes, there's very much this idea of grief. All the movies we watch for Scary mm-hmm. Basement are secretly about grief. It's just <laughs> about trauma, number, about grief. The number one theme that we deal with here. But it's also about, like, the way we deal with pain. Um, I think Mm, that was kind of what mm -hmm. was so interesting about this coyote moment. Like, Will opens the movie by seeing a creature in pain and putting it out of its misery. And by the end, he decides to not do that for himself. Like, and even though he mentions throughout the movie that he really wants to. Like, the the most upsetting line of this movie, I think, for me was when Will is talking to Kira and he's just like, listen, ever since my son died, like, I've been waiting to die. And it's just like, ooh, that's a brutal take, dude. Yeah. 
Especially because she reaches out and she's like, well, you're not in this alone. Like, I can help you. Like, I'm here yeah. for you. And and he's like, that's not enough. And she's you just don't like. get it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> like, Maybe when your son you dies, we that? can talk. Yeah. But right. yeah, the fact that the fact that he by the end of it is trying really hard to stay alive and like reaches out for Kira's hand is very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. This idea that we have to live with pain and that we can live with pain and that it's noble to live with pain. I really like I really like this idea that this pain can't defeat us, that Will decides to stay strong in the face of it. I don't know. I'm yeah. I think especially because then he's not just protecting himself. Like he realizes my, my reason to stick around could just be to make sure Kira doesn't die because of the situation I put her in, you know, and try and see mm-hmm. if I can save any of my other friends. Like he doesn't yeah. come out and say it, but that's like what he is doing. Yeah. And I think, yeah, similarly, I guess my, my kind of thought process was that the a lot of the theming is that there's no shortcut to dealing with grief mm. y- you can't just like wish it away and then it's gone mm-hmm. you have to process that in whatever way you're going to process it and then try and come out on that however you can um and i think you mentioned kind of like the whole moving on aspect where it seems like will seems to come around on that too it has kind of like an uplifting a sort of message to it but then also you see right after that that <laughs> all of these other <laughs> houses have been going through the same thing like they're in this very fancy hollywood hills house it's kind of like a modern style but also everything sort of like wood so it feels kind of like claustrophobic but sort of comfortable but also like very mm-hmm. expensive um and they've got this crazy view of like the hillside and stuff um if and then, you yeah. if you live in los angeles long enough and take enough improv classes you'll eventually take an improv class with the wife of like a showrunner or famous director and you'll get to go do improv classes at a house like this and oh damn roxy this is up in the hollywood hills like i think this yeah. is ventura canyon i could very easily be wrong about that but it, it is it is that kind of house but yeah i was wondering yeah. like if this was like setting off your la sensors to be like i know where that is exactly <laughs> i've i've been to houses like this and uh i i don't like it i don't like seeing uh, like in a mountain like across to other houses like thumbs down on it you're, but, you're not you're not a fan of big sweeping valley views <laughs> the best case scenario is uh you get to like see a neighbor across the way on the deck and you wave to them. The worst case scenario is somebody's watching you while you're nude. Like it's not a good neighborhood yeah. layout. Yeah. It is a very rich neighborhood layout. Boy, um, boy is it. And it's also kind of like you see the extent that the cult has kind of like ingratiated itself or like c- recruited people like mm-hmm. from this lifestyle, either buying up houses or what. Like it's kind of ridiculous <laughs> that it's all these uh, richo LA people and so I'm not really sure if they were implying like, oh, it's just like the, they kind of just like bought up houses in this neighborhood to like control. Or is it supposed mm. to be the implication that is literally everywhere? <laughs> That's what I was kind of thinking. Like, I think it might be like a a worldwide, like like a zombie movie. Like, oh, yeah. this is happening all across the globe. Yeah, I think that was also the implication as cool. well. But again, they're not completely overt about it. So you you never know. Anything could be true. I think the uh, the universal idea of, yeah, everybody is going to deal with grief at some point in their life. Everybody's going to deal with death. Um, I think maybe it's supposed to be kind of reinforcing that to be like, yeah, it's worldwide because it's everybody. Oh, um, that's a good. I like that. Yeah. But uh, so, Mikey, do you have a question for me? I do. Roxy, in the spirit of the game these lunatics played down in Mexico, let's play a quick round of I never, but change it to I want. I want. Okay. Roxy, what do you want? Um, so when they play the game, it's like something that they could attainably get like in that instant, theoretically. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, I want to own a blimp, but like I have no idea how I would go about doing that. You know, it's not uh-huh. something that that uh Which bizarre. I will say is so funny in the movie because they like <laughs> it's very clear when David comes down and he's like he wants it to be like, I want to feel at peace. I want to be loved. Like he it's clear he's pushing them towards like big ideas and they're just like, I would like to do cocaine. <laughs> I want to blow I want to make out with Ben. <laughs> I want a blowjob. <laughs> it's so funny. So I'd say something that I would want to do right now that would be fun is uh just take a drive down to the Oregon coast. Hang out on the beach and stuff for like a couple of days, like spontaneously just like stay in a little seaside hotel and kind of walk around that area. It's kind of like pick up and go for a couple of days. That sounds fun. (laughs) 
in the vein of this movie, you, you got to go do that. I could go do that. It would be very fun. But also, I'm not sure doing something like that on your own. I'm not sure if it would be like contemplative and like useful to do that on my own. Or if I'd just be thinking like, man, I'm doing this thing on my own. I sure wish there was someone else with me here. <laughs> I can't imagine anything that would be better for you than doing that. Hmm. Well, maybe I will do that after we record this podcast, Mikey. Great. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mikey? What do you want right now? Vanilla pudding. Oh, vanilla pudding. Okay. But, um, but that's pretty but attainable. Not but. just any vanilla pudding. I okay. want, so I've always thought about this. Every time I've had either vanilla or chocolate pudding, I've always imagined what. Like, you ever smell vanilla, like, extract? Like, when mm -hmm. you're baking? The way yeah. that smells, I want a vanilla pudding that tastes like that. And okay. I've never had it. And in my head, there is this platonic ideal of vanilla pudding that I want so bad. And I'll never get it. Like, I think, like, I love chocolate pudding. It's one of my favorite kinds of pudding. But mm -hmm. I think the best vanilla pudding that I've never had, but has to exist, is better than the best chocolate pudding. Obviously, There's got to be, like, a recipe to, like, make it with like real vanilla and stuff instead of like artificial vanilla. There's got to be a recipe. I feel out there like for I that. probably have to like go to France and sit down at a, like a tiny bistro or something. Ooh, like that's yes. where I'm going to find it. <laughs> Can I go with you on this uh, French dessert journey? No, Mikey? you're going to be busy <laughs> on the Oregon coast. <laughs> we can do one after the other. <laughs> nope, there's planned vacation time. Okay, well, I'll just have to f find a little bistro when I'm down there and get a okay. bunch of desserts. <laughs> anyway. Perfect. Then, then I'll send you pictures and be like, Mikey, I found the ideal pudding. And you'll be like, man, we should have done Roxy's plan where we both get to go on two trips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, that's fair. <laughs> All right, Mikey. So on a scale of one to nine, because 10 does not exist in the scary basement, I can't even believe I'm only allowed to say the word in this context when we're explaining that we don't get to say it. And even then it feels weird. It, it's it, like it truly does. <laughs> It feels like we're saying, uh, how likely does this happen on a scale of one to nine because the number blah, blah doesn't exist in the scary bit. It's like we're saying gibberish. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that uh, Demon Bot doesn't come in like live censor us whenever we say it. <laughs> like for a live censor bar. Cool that he doesn't. So like on a scale of one to nine, how likely do you think this situation is to happen? I said a four. A four? Okay, please yes. explain. Because... Okay, it's all real. It's all real people doing real crimes. This is all can happen. It has happened. We reference the Manson murders a ton throughout this podcast. Clearly, this could happen. Grief is powerful. I get it. That could that can overtake people. What makes this so incredibly unbelievable to me is the organization. Hmm. Organizing even like six of your friends' schedules to have the same uh. night free for a dinner party. <laughs> like Okay. No, not happening. Sorry. You know, that's that's a really good point. I think I'm still going to keep my score of nine out of nine, though. Nine! Yeah, because like you said, this stuff has happened before. There have been cults who have had their members poison themselves and other people, kill themselves and other people. Uh, and um, also, people's kids die like they did in this movie, mm -hmm. the main character's kid. But not uh, a and baseball. Also, I mean, that's true. Take it down had, to eight, Roxy. <laughs> Well, once we talked it through, see, I, I made this uh, <laughs> this rating before we had figured out the actual mm -hmm. cause mm -hmm. of death. Um, so maybe I should dock it to an eight out of nine. <laughs> but also, like, awkward-ass dinner parties. Yeah. I'm sure you've been to a couple. I've definitely been to a couple of them. Mm -hmm. More than one. So that pushed me to a nine out of nine. I get that. <laughs> so last week, we made a bet, which was a... Uh, Timestamp for the first death of the movie. So, Mikey, you said... 24 minutes in. Okay, and I said 40 minutes in. So we had some consternation about this. Yeah, yeah. So the coyote dies at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So And I think, I think that's where we ended up falling. Like, that is the first death. Because I, uh, when we did the hereditary episode, I think this was your point, we mm -hmm. did count the bird... That yes. The weird little kid chopped the head off of. So Yeah. Bird counts. Coyote counts. We literally see it. Well, we see it not, die. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's three minutes in. Three, three minutes, minutes in. in. So, Mikey, with your 24 minutes, you win. I win. 
That yeah, puts yeah. our total bet score at Roxy, 24, Mikey, 20, Ty, 2. Ooh, okay. And something happens at 30. What could it be? We're somewhere between be? six and ten weeks away from finding out. Yeah, we're going to have to like start coming up with a preparedness plan, Mikey, since we have no idea. Uh, I, I don't even know how to start preparing, but we'll have you to prepare for- You don't have a preparedness for... kit ready to go? I mean, I have one for some situations, but not every conceivable situation that we could run into. I've got to make like 50 more. I have a backpack have a bag? full of knives, blankets, matches, okay. mm-hmm. granola bars, mm-hmm. uh, jacks, but what, cracker like jacks. Cart. Oh, okay. Because no, you both, love baseball both. so much. Jacks, the, the metal X's and bounce ball game, and cracker jacks, crackers regular, spikes, canned what fish. What kind of spikes? Oh, just spikes. Just like regular uh, spikes. Uh, okay. <laughs> extra glasses, wet wipes. Extra glasses. Wallets, Ziploc bag full of dirt. Like grave dirt or something? Two so... grams of cocaine. Okay. Just uh, in case. Circle, a circle saw. Just a blade? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and 35 individually wrapped hard candies. That are I, infused with THC in case we need to calm down. Okay, after all the cocaine. That's the only one take. I have an explanation for. <laughs> yeah. The rest are just me <laughs> listing things I can think of. And you guys don't know this, but Mikey literally just took everything in his room and threw it in a bag, and that's everything that exists in his room. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's it. So uh, get yourself your own bag like that, Roxy. Yeah, <laughs> I guess of... I gotta. I gotta find out where I can find a cheap circular saw. And that's the one that's going to give me the most trouble, I think. <laughs> Trekking down. Um, but so you won the bet the, this week, Mikey. So congrats to you. I've had you. a ridiculous streak. So glad to have that broken. I think. Again, we don't know. <laughs> it, could, it could be bad. <laughs> it could be bad to win. Nobody knows. No shit. Mikey, do you see him over there? I'll tell you who does know, probably, is the Demon Bot. Demon Bots. Mikey and Roxy, for next week you must watch a 2015 film, The Final Girls, or your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. All right, Roxy, so we are watching The Final Girls. All right. Let's make a bet for next week. What do you say? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. I, what do you think? From what I know about this movie, which is uh, almost nothing. It seems ripe for a kill count. It feels like it's going to be dealing in the world of slasher movies. It feels like there's going to be a lot of uh, cute teenagers getting stabbed. How many kills do you think will be in the movie The Final Girls? Um, That's a good question. Uh, Since there's going to be like a lot of teens, I think, and it's kind of a genre savvy movie, I'm going to guess 13. 13. Okay. I'm going to leapfrog you. I'm going to say 18. All right, 18. I feel like the later a movie is, like an 80s movie, you'll get eight kills. Mm-hmm. A 90s movie, you're in the 10 to 12. These days, if you're not hitting 20, you're fucking up. <laughs> yeah, so what are I'm you even say doing? 18. Why make a movie? Why make a movie? Yeah, and I say this about one? like all films, like best picture winning style. <laughs> like I watched West Side Story and I think only one person died. And I was like, come on. Yeah, and romantic comedies, like come Two- on, they got a lot to... <laughs> Two people at least famously die in West Side Story. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's two one two, not two zero after it, not twenty. Right. So, they they need to pick up the pace. Damn, I saw West Side Story like six months ago. How many people die in West Side Story? I have never seen West Side Story. Um, I know it's referenced so many times. I feel like I know the general thing. It's just was it Romeo and Juliet? But yeah, m- modern. And by modern, I mean like what seventies. I want to live in America. Yeah, it's good. Yes, yeah, that's all. The new, the new one's good. I've heard it is very, very good. I know there's lots of iterations of it as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Let's never talk about West Side Story again. <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, so, Mikey, we've been talking about a lot of depressing, grief-filled mm. things today. So, mm. I want to ask you what what has been making you happy this week. Roxy, what's been making me happy is uh, a Twitter account. I was scared by a Twitter account today, but I also fell in love oh. with a Twitter account today. Okay. It's not the same one, is it? This Twitter account is twitter.com slash shirts that go hard. And there's no A in that. Shirts okay. that go hard. Uh, please PhD. send me a link right now. Here you go. It's just 
pictures of real shirts that are that go hard, right? Uh, the, I'm just going scrolling through and reading some that I like. One that says, um, "Yes, I smell like a horse. No, I don't consider that a problem." Uh, what was the the one? There's some that I truly like. Uh, a lot of them are like kind of gross. They're a little. Uh, yeah, a lot of these are very obscene. They're like vagina centric for a lot of them. Yeah. This one says, uh, hot boy summer, turn that frown upside clown. And it's just a picture of clowns hanging out. Like, that's funny. This shirt says smash mouth. And it has a picture of Fred Durst. And it says mbop over the top. So that's funny. And there's a, a little Shrek down there, too. Oh, there's a little Shrek there. This shirt says yeah. uh, Harry Potter hates Ohio. <laughs> uh, Why? <laughs> It's just, uh, it's a very funny little little uh, Twitter account to follow. You just get a little screenshot. Oh, here's the one I found uh, that I love so much. It's a tie-dyed shirt, and in white font, it says, I'm getting sucked off in the warthog from Halo, and I'm crapping. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, it's, just like, it's just a photograph of a shirt. So that's what's been making me happy is that Twitter account. What's making you happy? That's hilarious. Well, I think everybody else should go check that out, too, so they can share the same endorphins that you had from that, Mikey. I'm going to look at it, too. Uh, So the thing that was making me happy this week was while I was visiting my folks, I did an escape room with them, Mikey. That rules. Just three of us. So it was Uh a room that was like for three to six people. (laughs) So we were doing it together. The theme... Just under the line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's kind of like my my parents don't really like play a lot of puzzle type games. Like they like like Scrabble or card games. And like uh-huh. I can convince them to play things like Catan or Splendor or something. Like they'll usually be down to try a thing. But if you ask them to make a choice, it's always going to be like Scrabble. Mm-hmm. So escape escape rooms are very close to like Resident Evil type puzzles. Um, so it's like a very different type of game. Yeah. And the one that we did too was like kind of like spooky Indiana Jones, like a temple with mm. skeletons and everything. Uh, cool. It was super fun. It was really good. And like the the person who was in charge of our room was also very, very nice. He was cool. And we played it twice because we didn't beat it the first time. We were like uh-huh. maybe 65% of the way through. Um, Because it's not like I was completely carrying them, but you need like two people with kind of like the mindset for those sorts of puzzles to get it within that time limit, I feel like. Otherwise, you need more time because like they could definitely figure out the stuff. But some things that I would be like, oh, instantly, I know how that puzzle works. I know how Mm -hmm. to do that. They'll be like, wait, what? (laughs) I don't (laughs) get it. So we did it twice, but we did beat it on the second time. So they had to reset it. So so we did it once. And then they were like, oh, man, you were like 65% of the way through there's no one scheduled after you so if you want to do it you can and i was like i'm down and my dad was like i'm down and my mom was like sure let's do it <laughs> so we had to wait for them to reset the room and then we redid it so it was like doing a speed run of like the first 65 percent of it yeah i was able to remember some of even the number codes for stuff but then other stuff you know like you had to go through the motions to do the things and so that second time through with double the time we got it and beat it with like 40 seconds to spare whoa <laughs> So we just barely did it like under the radar. We got uh-huh. it done. It, it was great. And like they were so happy about having beat it and everything. They were like, yeah, we did. It. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. Like when you saw the puzzle, was it I, I imagine it was like mostly you pulling them through or like were your parents like f- figuring out puzzles as well? Were they like throwing out ideas? Uh, they were. It was definitely mostly kind of like me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, muscling it through for them. But there were some parts where I'd be like, hey, you if you read the notebook and think about this puzzle or something, you do that part while I'm doing this part over here. Mm. And there were a lot of like teamwork puzzles where it's like someone had to read something that was like on a wall and communicate with someone who was like under a tomb or something so you can't right. see it, mm-hmm. which was pretty neat. Which also just like the way they paced it, there were so many like hidden secret rooms that we unlocked that was just so much fun. It was like, uh-huh. what? It, there's an upstairs what <laughs> it was just like insane it, it was a lot of fun especially because we had done those r- some rooms at this place previously i'd actually done two of these rooms with my parents solo like years ago um and then another one of these rooms with like a group of us when uh my best friend and my brother and his girlfriend like were there for christmas one year mm-hmm. so this was like a new room that they had that they didn't have before so it, it was very cool that they would even be up for it and then want to keep going to try and beat it too. <laughs> yeah. No quit in the pokes. 
Yeah, apparently, which was great. I love this. <laughs> One other thing I love is leaving the scary basement, which it's time we do, Roxy. Each week, yeah. the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door, and yet each week we still escape. This week, I brought along a shotgun. Okay, another shotgun, Mikey. This another might have been the shotgun. third one, but is this one normal shotgun? What? Tell me about the shotgun. Regular shotgun, but I'll tell you why I keep going back to this shotgun well, Roxy. This is my go-to weapon in video games like Halo, like Call of Duty, like Neon White. I love a shotgun in a video game. Mm, me too. It is definitely one of like my favorite Resident Evil weapons. Yeah. Other things. It's got stopping power. You aim up, you shoot a zombie head. Yep. One hit kill. So let's see if what I've brought along is going to stop the guardsman this week. I sure hope it's just a regular Resident Evil zombie. Uh-oh. Okay, what is it? Roxy. Mikey? I think we're going to be okay. It is a balloon monster. Oh. This is a disgusting, throbbing sack of pustulate, but we oh. are exactly well-equipped enough to take it out. You ready? Yeah, the I when you said balloon monster, I thought it was delightful. Then when I finally walked up the stairs to stand next to you, that's I was not prepared for what that was. Okay, I, yeah, I'm it's ready. just a floating bag of goo. Ugh. Okay, <laughs> I I'm gonna stand far away while you do that. Just gonna shuffle on back into the woods here. Okay, Mikey, go for it. Oh, it's all over my face! Oh God! Oh, I gotta take a shower. Oh my god, this cat. Okay, Tavern, you're gonna have to cut this, but cat just Mikey, can you my... can you move the camera? She's so cute. She's a very cute cat and I like her. Mikey's house sitting for a kitty. Hello. Oh, she's so tiny too. She looks like she's a thin little thin little thing. She's so cute. She wants to be up in your business. Her name is Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner? So cute. Yeah. Do they call her Rad for short? No. Gilda no. the cat. Gilda. Gilda the cat. Hello. She's nice. Hee <laughs> hee.